Hello, and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing modern techniques for DDoS mitigation. This Network Collective episode is brought to you by Viavi Solutions. Viavi is an industry leader in application and network management that uniquely monitors end-user experience and increases speed to resolution. Ensure the delivery of critical applications with Viavi's integrated, precision-engineered software and hardware systems while recapturing valuable engineering time. You can learn more at viavisolutions.com slash network collective and stay tuned for more information during the show. We wanted to quickly remind you about the Network Collective Community membership. The Network Collective Community is a place where you can grow both technically and professionally. Exclusive member content focuses on the why of networking, because efficiently implementing the wrong things doesn't help you or your company all that much. There are a number of additional excellent benefits that you can discover for yourself if you go to thenetworkcollective.com slash join. Community is incredibly important to growth, and we would love to have you be part of ours. So joining us today to talk about DDoS mitigation is Roland Dobbins and Nick Baraglio. Uh, both these guys have been guests on the show previously, so welcome back, and let's uh, let's get right to it. So before diving into mitigation techniques, I think we probably should put some framing around what it is that we're trying to fix. So here it is, you know, uh, the back half of 2018, what does uh, denial of service attack look like today? Well, uh, if I'll, I'll go first, uh, if that's okay. So uh, DDoS attacks, you know, we've been around for a long, long time. I, I personally have been working uh, working DDoS attacks on the internet since since 1995, and they're kind of unique in the in the security space in the sense that any kind of packet can be used um, to, to generate a DDoS attack. And what we see, of course, is that security is additive. And so DDoS attack methodologies and techniques that we were seeing, you know, 25 years ago, we're still seeing today. Um, I guess the, the biggest things that have changed over the last several years have been, uh, number one, extremely large, large volumetric attacks. Um, we're in the terabit era now. The, the largest uh, attack that uh, we've seen to date was a 1.7 terabit per second memcache D reflection amplification attack. So, so the volume uh, certainly is, is high in terms of uh, the volumetric attacks. And then, of course, we see innovation at layer seven, layer threes and four. And then the other thing is the weaponization. Uh, previously, what you would see is that the more sophisticated uh, attack vectors, including multi-vector attacks, would be waged primarily by very skilled attackers. But with the rise of uh, booter stressor services, these attack vectors have been weaponized. And so now it's quite easy for uh, a really unskilled script kitty to launch a, a pretty sophisticated um, reflection amplification attack with a bunch of layer three and, uh, and, and four stuff uh, thrown in. And, um, uh, do things that you know a few years ago required a, a skill a skilled operator. And finally, what we're seeing now is, is you know the, the skilled guys have always monitored the efficacy of their attacks and then altered their attack vectors and approaches based on the success of, of the DDoS defense. And so we're starting to see some hints of, of automation in this regard where some of the, the, the concepts from uh, performance uh, measurement and analysis, uh, automated performance measurement and analysis are starting to make it, we believe, into DDoS attack harnesses as well. So, so hold on. They're monitoring the effectiveness of the attack and adjusting accordingly. Something we haven't been able to effectively do in our networks 
at all, but the attackers are doing it well. Well, we and need to hire these guys for network management. Apparently. <laughs> so they, we've had it wrong all along. We should, we've always thought we wanted to hire them for security. We really want to hire them for telemetry metrics and uh, right. <laughs> never knew. So yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're seeing, they're seeing, you know, there is, there are instances of adaptive attacks that are in the wild and stuff. Um, but I think it's important to really define, you, you know, Roland, you gave a very great description of like the current landscape. Um, but for anyone that hasn't really ever dealt with something like this, which is probably a fair number of like um, network engineers that don't have any visibility into security, defining what DDoS actually means is very important because it's a, you know, it's a 500 pound weight that gets thrown around that then networking folks have to deal with that. They may not really have a full grasp of what it means, but realistically speaking, all DDoS is, is a denial of service, which is, you know, DDoS without the extra D. Uh, and, and all that is, is taking, a service and making it unavailable or that service can be anything. It can be a physical system. It can be a, you know, a physical piece of network hardware, like a core router. It can be as simple as an application. So if I want to, if I want a denial of service, you know, whatever website, all I have to do is make Apache stop listening or Nginx or whatever. Um, and that's a much more simple attack in theory, right? But really, the definition of that is very simple for the amount of weight that it pulls around in that all it means is taking a service and making it unavailable to the user that wants to use it. And so yeah, that's maybe- a, That's a very good point, Nick. And, and I guess the, we could define DDoS attacks, they are attacks against availability and they are attacks against capacity and or state. Yeah. So, so to give some examples of things people might not think about, um, enable MD5 authentication on your edge router communicating to the internet. No, don't. Because if you do, <laughs> it doesn't take a very high packet rate to roll your edge router over. And for most routers nowadays. Oh, Roland, you're muted. Yeah, and it yeah, yeah, without, without IACLs and, and control plane policing and right, so forth. Exactly. That's absolutely correct. Right. And so in that, you're just exhausting the service by sending more requests than what it can handle. Now, right. it's not that we're not talking about a lot of traffic there. We're just talking about the fact that it only takes a few requests to get it to the point where it is That's exhausted right. and it can no longer respond. Right. That's a control plane attack. Right. Um, right. Nick, you mentioned state attacks. Um, so what are some ideas behind that? So state tables, like, is that what we're talking about here? Yeah. So in, in the... Uh, in the instance that I was talking about, and one of the most simple attacks, one of the first ones I ever learned was taking a middle box. You know, I love to go after the middle boxes. You guys know that. Take the middle <laughs> box, and especially if it's running NAT, so any enterprise grade, whatever, and I'm going to run out the state table on that. So if you don't have things set appropriately, uh, and a lot of modern gear will have, you know, thresholds that are baked into default, you know, where the state table is set this number of entries per host or whatever. But if for whatever reason that isn't adequate or if it isn't set, you can essentially run the state table out, exhausting a resource in that middle box, preventing it from creating any new state and therefore any new connections. So you've effectively right. taken anything behind that middle box and made it go away. And that's well, exactly and right. And, and, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, and even if you've got per host um, 
limits set on your device if it's a distributed attack and it's coming from multiple attack vectors across the internet those controls aren't going to help you right and and, and and we see we, we see this um a lot right so when you see like an entire idc go offline for example what's happened is that people have inadvisedly and incorrectly uh, and iatrogenically taken a stateful firewall and stuck it in front of a server or in front of a, a group of servers. And, you know, sticking stateful firewalls in front of servers makes no sense because the stateful inspection is predicated upon there being an existing connection, right? And then looking at incoming packets and seeing if they marry up with an existing connection, the connection table. But for servers, you know, every incoming connection is unexpected, right? And so putting a stateful firewall in, in, in front of uh, a server uh, type, type of of, uh, device is is insane. It, it 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 makes absolutely no sense. And so we we've seen this a lot. I, I've uh, stateful stateful firewalls, stateful load balancers. I've been able to take down a 10 gigabit per second hardware based um, load balancer with not six million packets per second, not six hundred thousand packets per second, not sixty thousand packets per second, but only six thousand packets per second of HOIC, HOIC, high or, uh, orbit ion cannon, which is a combined layer of three uh, layer four and layer seven uh, attack tool. And that's just a trivial amount of tap uh, of traffic considering that line rate for sixty four byte packets at ten gigs is um, what uh, 14.8 million packets per second. This is a, a especially true in, uh, we see this a lot in, in wireless networks, uh, mobile wireless, for example, where there's a whole ton of additional state in the, in the packet core, for example, a lot of moving parts going on there. Uh, we see this in broadband uh, wireline access networks where increasingly due to IPv4 uh, address exhaustion, we're seeing carrier grade NATs uh, being deployed on the wireline spaces, you know, and they're in the wireless space as well. And so outbound DDoS attacks from compromised devices, you know, computers, phones, IoT devices, what have you, or crossbound DDoS attacks often lead to state exhaustion in environments where there's a lot of state and you can have outages of hundreds of thousands or even millions of people uh, caused potentially by a single device uh, exhausting the state in a critical uh, uh, point in the network topology. I haven't. Even, I hadn't even thought of the carrier grade NAT example. That's a great example, and something would be outbound, yeah, outbound, outbound, outbound traffic. You could absolutely target a specific carrier by targeting their clients. That's really. That's really. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, think about you. 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 You own or you rootkit all of the IP cameras in a bank, and then you suck up all the NAT table on the outbound side. And boom, the bank is no longer online. That's <laughs> right. That's that's, that's, that's a very uh, that's a very under um, studied and and very off not thought about uh, scenario is the outbound attack. And the outbound right. attack is the one that's really really dangerous because everyone really worries about oh I gotta have my stuff protecting the GUI center or whatever, but it's so trivial to right. compromise anything inside that GUI center, if it even talks outbound at all, that you pop one box, once you're in, you pop all the rest of them, and then you have a bit cannon or whatever you want to do from that point. And, and, and a lot and, of people and, and, don't inspect that.
That's right. And, and what we see is that so many uh, applications and services are extremely brittle and fragile and non-scalable. And so you just, you know, breathe a whiff of packets across them and they fall over. I mean, we've seen, you know, network management tools uh, doing SNMP polling, you know, inside enterprise uh, internal IDCs uh, cause this kind of problem. Crossbound attacks are a really big problem too um, on, on um, broadband networks and also within, again, within the data center. Um, most botnet command and control servers are actually legitimate servers, uh, whether they're physical servers or virtual servers, which have been commandeered by the bad guys. They've broken in and they've set them up uh, to, to, to act as botnet command and control servers. And so a lot of DDoS activity is actually criminal versus criminal. And um, one DDoS uh, gang, attack gang will try to DDoS the command and control server of another DDoS attack gang so that they can, number one, prevent them from extorting the same targets, and number two, maybe bring the bots offline and then harvest those bots and subsume them into their own botnet. Well, when that, 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 targeted botnet command and control server is actually a web server, let's say for a hospital, uh, for example, or some kind of nonprofit organization, you know, then the bad guys are attacking that nonprofit organization or that hospital website. And we've actually seen instances in IDCs where you had host A and, you know, VLAN X on subnet Y uh, attacking host B on VLAN, you know, Q on subnet C and attacking one another eastbound, westbound um, within the IDC. And we've even seen command and control servers that were, were actually, these were servers that were popped by multiple bad actors. And so they're actually, uh, the server is essentially attacking itself because they're each trying to, to attack the rival command and control servers and they don't really realize it's on the same IP address. So all of this internal activity is, is, is very, very dangerous. And so now we, we've seen um, these multi platform spreaders for things like IoT botnets. We found a Windows-based um, uh, spreader or fertilizer or whatever you want to call it. Um, I actually had a clever term. I can't remember it off the top of my head. But it's actually a Windows-based um, um, system that is designed to use exploits in Windows to then spread Mirai. And so the Windows machine is compromised with the with this uh, this uh, propagator, and then it has a bunch of Mirai images for different types of IoT devices. And so once the Windows box has been compromised, it starts scanning, looking for vulnerable IoT devices. And then if that person who owns that Windows box say VPNs into an enterprise or picks up his compromised laptop and takes it to the enterprise and plugs it in, now you have Mirai being propagated behind the corporate firewall inside the enterprise, which raises the specter of internal-only DDoS attacks. Yeah, and so we call those uh, aggressive business tactics. <laughs> the bot herders are, uh, you know, trying to uh, take each other's stuff over. So, but, you know, you're right. And to bring up the East-West stuff, you know, in data centers, when you have security zones that are set up, there might be, you know, some that are watching east-west traffic doing some sort of analyzer or whatever. But in enterprise networks, how often do you see east-west traffic get any, even, I mean, other than maybe looking at SNMP graphs of yeah, the just a little internal bit. things. We're seeing very, very small amounts, and, yeah. And we don't have many tools in most of our enterprise mm -hmm. networks to, to tell us what's going on 
east west yeah. we we just we just don't have any no. idea and so once something abnormal happens we don't even have a baseline to understand oh this traffic that i'm seeing is abnormal because we may not even understand what the video cameras across right. our enterprise right do. we don't know what that traffic's supposed to look like I'm sorry, go ahead. There, there's a, a quarter of a second of delay between us because I'm on the other side of the planet, so I didn't mean to talk. You <laughs> okay. mean the round trip time is longer? <laughs> no, right. So what, what I was going to say is that, you know, that, that sort of brings us back to uh, what Yvonne said brings me back to a point that I've tried to really push home, other than the fact that I hate Nat, which everybody already knows, but is that knowing what your network is doing, even in the very slightest sense, gives you at least a minuscule baseline to work from. And, you know, I mentioned SNMP, SNMP graphs. I mean, SNMP might be a bag of razor blades and hate, but it's still something that's, you know, better than, you know, having nothing at all, no visibility. You so know you what your average interface utilization is, for example. Exactly. So if, if your average exactly. interface utilization is 25% and it's running 90 and something weird's going on, I mean, that is something. It's better than nothing. Sure. Two, 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 two very scalable forms of, of telemetry that I you know, am religious about are flow telemetry and also uh, DNS queries and responses uh, for recursive DNS. Um, these scale. Uh, the beauty is that this is metadata, so you're not looking at the whole packet. And so this is what the, you know, the very largest networks on Earth, you know, the lar large ISPs make use of flow telemetry. You can make use of flow telemetry within the enterprise. You can make use of it within the internal enterprise data center and the internet data center as well. And you can use it to monitor north-south and east-west traffic. You can use it to detect and classify and trace back to see where you know DDoS attack traffic is in is ingressing your network. You can use it within the enterprise to look for command and control, you know, scanning activity, any any kind of suspicious activity. And so it's really, really critical here. And, and in terms of, of the data center in particular, there are a lot of techniques that can be used, using, making use of things like PVLANs, private VLANs, for example, along with port ACLs or VACLs, VLAN ACLs, things of this nature to enforce policy on that east-west plane as well as uh, the, the north-south plane, I think is, is very important for both enterprises as well as ISPs um, who are operating, you know, VPS services, for example, um, and, and things of that nature. And, and co-location. Uh, you know, you, you want to, to, to not to allow communications necessarily between customer A and customer B unless they explicitly request this because they're business partners. There's a lot of stuff that can be done. There are a lot. There are some people who do this right, but most people go with the defaults, which is to leave everything open and with no visibility. And it's a huge problem. Yeah. And, and so and if you mentioned, you know, port ACLs and all of these things, and if you you know, if you start thinking about that, you know, the reason people don't do those things is because, you know, they're, you know, you, ha you have to change them over time. So automating them is sort of a key element to doing yep. that in a way that scales. Well, um, automation is something you knowing well, you can always, you can always hire the guys to do it right <laughs> knowing knowing what has to traverse that link is the first piece which i mean yeah. so i mean we talk about this and it really is hinting this idea of you know what is popularly called micro segmentation the idea of taking and taking your environment putting it in multiple segments only allowing those segments to talk to other smaller segments on the network based off of what they actually need to to do to accomplish their tasks. The challenge in this, and I come differently from a, a very strong enterprise background, is that enterprises have no clue what their network is doing. 
which That's is right. why micro segmentation strategies have not worked yet. We're starting to see some tools that will help identify those things. Time will tell whether or not those tools are actually put into use and able to give a, a broader picture that turns into a micro-segmented style of networking. But the reality is, is that people are implementing these tools and still implementing them the same old way. They're putting right. out these tools and they're saying, okay, well, this we used to be a network and so now this is the new segment. And that segment, well, I really don't know what needs to talk within it. So we're not going to put any segmentation so, within it. <laughs> and, or, 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 or they do things like, like they will stick stateful firewalls everywhere, right? Yeah. And then they do things like they block all ICMP, which breaks path MTU discovery. And, you know, we, we, we see a, a bit more clue on some enterprises on the public facing side, like, for example, a financial institution, you know, they are ASPs as well as enterprises, right? And so we're seeing some more clue uh, in, in those enterprises on their public facing stuff of the of the the ones who are clueful but still the biggest problem that that, that we really face in terms of ddos defense uh, besides infrastructure uh, cell protection and stuff like that is that many enterprises like you said they don't really know what their network access policy ought to be they're not enforcing it they just throw reams and reams of ACLs. they never peel the ACLs off and so they end up you know with network arteriosclerosis that's filtering out stuff that is harmless while they're not really defining clearly what is actually supposed to be there. And so this is the, the, the foundational principle of DDoS defense is to understand what is it that you're protecting and what it is you're protecting then feeds into your network access policy. And then when, if you're talking about, you know, intelligent DDoS mitigation systems or more active forms of DDoS defense, then what countermeasures or techniques you're using to depend, to, to defend against about 80% of it is driven by what you're defending, 20% based on attack style. So, so again, this is, it comes this back is, to knowing your network, right? Yeah. Understanding, so sorry, Russ. No, it's fine. We're all like in different places. So we're like, <laughs> anyway, so um, this is one thing I think that's very important that you bring up is that today, what we have going on in the enterprise and a lot of large, large networks is we have a belief in the mythical single, uh, single source of truth. The SSOT. And instead of actually going and find, using the network itself as the single source of truth and trying to figure out, like, what does this, you know, what does this do, um, you know, and, and how do you do it? We're actually going, well, you know what? No, we're just going to take our database and rely on that to tell us where traffic should be. That's like not going to work. Well, I think as, as technical people, as they are, they like to think of things in very clean boxes, in very specific colors that all fit together perfectly. But that isn't how anything, I mean, anybody that's ever run any network, really of any size, realizes that is absolute malarkey. Like, it's never going to be that, that like that. So if you take your source of truth, I like to think about it like this. My source of truth is a big ball of a bunch of pieces of chewed bubble gum that are wadded together. Right. They're all different colors. They're mixing together. They're probably touching each other because they're squished. And the destination of truth is the network. Right. Tonight it's the actual the night the of great. Tonight is the, the night of great um, examples. Yeah. I tell you, one I'm stealing, by the way. I just want you to know that, yeah, that I'm telling you now. I've never heard that before. It's absolutely perfect. Like that is right on. Well, and it was a whiff of packets. What was a that? A whiff one? of packets. Yeah, there's some good ones yeah. here tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 you know, security is added in nature. And so, 
ICMP attacks, um, uh, you know, synthesized that we first started seeing in 1994, you know, we still see today, and we see new, new newer vectors uh, that get added over time. Um, uh, a couple of things that, that that I've observed in the last couple of years um, are uh, I've seen uh, at least two attacks in which I believe that the attackers actually took a very very hard look at the routing, you know, based on, on the, the internet uh, default free zone routing, routing tables and worked hard to position bots as topologically close to the target of the attack as possible to, and, and what this, this means is that there are not so many different intervening networks between the attacking bots and the target, um, which means that they can potentially get more traffic on the target, and then there's not as many potential pairs of eyes um, on the traffic as well. So that's one thing I've noticed is is is, is uh, some attackers trying to position attacks, uh, their attack resources topologically near uh, the target. The other thing that is very worrisome is this whole idea of the internal only DDoS attack. Because when people think about DDoS attacks, they think about an attack typically coming south to north, you know, from the internet, hitting their resources. And we talked about outbound and how those can be just as devastating as inbound. We talked about crossbound and how disruptive they can be. But think about uh, this, this Windows-based propagator for IoT botnets that I was talking about earlier. Think about an attacker who actually decides to target specific enterprises uh, to get this uh, this particular malware behind the corporate firewall, whether it's through VPN or through a laptop, and gets a whole bunch of network printers, for example, inside the enterprise compromise, they're now part of an IoT botnet. Then the attacker proceeds to perform his reconnaissance, just like a good attacker would on a public-facing resource, right, to identify the mission-critical applications and services within the enterprise in the internal data center. Once the attacker has identified the payroll database, once he's identified the CRM system, once he's identified, um, you know, the, the sales management platform, he then then launches a DDoS attack to take those resources down. And maybe he's ideological, or maybe he's doing it as a form of DDoS extortion. But the thing is, the enterprise is going to see all these critical applications and services go down. They're going to see workers who can't work. And, and maybe they'll think, oh, well, it's a DDoS attack. And they're going to call their ISP and say, hey, I'm under a DDoS attack. I need you to help me. And the ISP is going to look at the flow telemetry and say, well, wait a minute. We're not seeing anything. It's an internal only deliberate DDoS attack. And this is what I'm really concerned about uh, moving forward because as you've noted, Yvonne, you know, the enterprises don't have the kind of visibility uh, that they need to detect and classify and trace back this kind of stuff. And I think it's a very scary scenario. So well, this, uh, go ahead, Yvonne. I was just going to say, historically, the conventional wisdom regarding DDoS prevention and investment for enterprises has been you need to do that at your provider, right? Because the assumption has been that that attack is going to come in from the outside. But that's really a whole new class of protection that we need to consider in our enterprises for internal DDoS, um, which is kind of a difficult sell because it's hard to convince leadership that somebody's going to take over your IoT devices and, and the risk is hard to, um, that's a tough sell. I also, I also think, right, I mean, so many people think of DDoS, like we talked about this earlier, like I think the, the traditional view of DDoS is the, is the constraint attack or the, the capacity attack. The idea that we're going to send a volumetric amount of data 
uh, that takes down a capacity of a link somewhere. And the edge has always been the obvious spot for that because that's that's our, our typically our slowest pipe is whatever's going to the internet or whatever's going to our WAN or whatever's going to something where there's constrained throughput. Internally, we tend to have more throughput available to us um, by, you know, uh, factors, <laughs> right? Uh, so to DDoS, one of those links is difficult. Or, you know, if you have, you know, uh, bonded links and you're, and you're doing these things like the amount of volume for volumetric. But when you start talking about the other types of attacks, the other types of services, and so... As more well, I would say, I would say that your volumetric attack inside the enterprise, though, yes, the enterprise has more bandwidth internally, but guess what? All the devices that are plugged into the enterprise network have more bandwidth as well. I mean, you typically, basically your basic uh, yeah. port in an enterprise is gig copper now, right? And yeah. you have printers and IP phones and so conference systems. And Mac hubs, is that what I'm hearing? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But, but seriously, so so uh, what you're saying is right. But what we find is that um, enterprise networks are typically um, uh, oversubscribed, right? Anywhere from a factor of three to 10 to even larger, right? In, in terms of the actual bandwidth and throughput that they can support. And you're handing out all these gig ports to all these devices inside, Right, which can then be compromised, and then just you know, not even IoT devices, just you know, regular regular PCs and laptops for that matter, and you know, and run, running you know, 802.11 AC and and all this kind of stuff. So all, all I'm trying to say is that you can't really de depend on bandwidth or throughput as a defensive measure against DDoS attack, because the attacker can always marshal more resources to to, to fill it up. I guess is, is what I'm trying to get across. Sure. Yeah. There's, and, there's, and, there's and always more bandwidth. Remember, it's not just bandwidth they're attacking, right? Because I remember I worked at a bank a long time ago, worked on a bank network a long time ago, where they had mistaken this wasn't even real. It wasn't even a real DDoS. It was a self DDoS, where they had actually installed the server software for a backup package on ten thousand PCs. <laughs> that's right. And so it, you had a flash crowd DDoS. IP walk, right? It did a full yeah, IP That's walk exactly what it did. And it, right. And it, and it took down the routing protocol because it overwhelmed all the input queues on all the routers. We'd like to take this time to share with you more about Viavi Solutions. Did you know that network engineers spend 75% of their time troubleshooting issues? That's according to the State of the Network Survey. Yet, Forrester reports that one-third of users complain that it takes longer than a month to resolve their issues. For those of us who support networks, we know there's no shortage of data about our environments. However, key performance indicators and network data do not provide the visibility we need to understand the source of performance complaints. We need smarter tools to make sense of disparate data. Viavi is tackling this issue in its Observer platform with user-centric performance monitoring through synthetic testing with Observer Live and a patent-pending end-user experience score that pinpoints the source of issues for accurate resolution across networks, servers, clients, or applications. Consider a new approach to network monitoring with end-user experience scoring and synthetic testing to head off problems before they start. Sign up for a free trial of the proactive monitoring service, Observer Live, and start solving issues today. You can also enter to win a network collective community membership to keep learning about great solutions like Observer. Check us out at viavisolutions.com slash network collective. So another thing that I've seen is volumetric attacks that are a smokescreen for something very specific, 
right? Because it's very easy to go, look at my hand, look at my hand when I'm over here doing something else with my other hand, when this hand is painted bright green or something. So they've got this huge amount of traffic that's pointed at something so that they can get you to focus on that so that they can do something very minuscule and very specific and much worse. And that that's actually not uncommon. That's right. As a, as a distraction. So there was a very famous um, uh, example of that a few years ago with Sony, with the PSN. Um, the attackers launched a series of DDoS attacks against PSN, which caused widespread gaming outages, you know, from tens of millions of PlayStation users um, worldwide. And so while the InfoSec team were busy trying to deal with the DDoS attack, which they were not prepared to deal with. Uh, um, uh, in the meantime, the attackers were cracking open uh, uh, information inc that included credit card, uh, credit card stuff that was being stored and exfiltrated, you know, tens of millions of credit cards, uh, all, all the information, personal in identifying information of those users from the PSN. So yeah, you're exactly right. That is not uh, a distraction. That's not a, a theoretical kind of thing at all. It's, it's a real world sort of thing. The attackers definitely um, make use of that. And we also see these things happen in terms of hidden dependencies. So uh, a few years ago, there was a major uh, um, ISP who also in the United States who also provides, uh, they, they do SIP trunking, right? And um, their authoritative DNS for a lot of domains that they were hosting for their enterprise uh, customers came under attack. But it turned out that they actually were using the same authoritative DNS servers for the domains for those customers um, as they were using for the enum stuff that provided all the phone number lookup for their SIP trunking. And they didn't have any DDoS defense provision at a time. So these authoritative DNS servers went down and therefore all the resources, you know, the web servers, the email and all that of the customers whose domains were hosted went down. But more importantly, this particular carrier, their SIP trunking went down nationwide because the enum stuff couldn't get resolved anymore. And so what we, we always try to tell folks is you have to prepare for this ahead of time. You need to implement all the best current practices in terms of network infrastructure self-protection. You need to have a strong bulkheaded DNS infrastructure, whether we're talking recursive or authoritative. You need to understand all of your dependencies and, and map this out ahead of time. Otherwise, you're stuck at 4 a.m. on a Sunday where everything is down and your management's screaming in your face and you switch over to, to, to you know, in the time dilation where a second seems like a minute, minute seems like an hour, hour seems like a day, um, et cetera. And unfortunately, that's what we typically see. And the way that most DDoS attacks to this day are detected is a user calls up what he calls his ISP or he calls his IT department and says, help, help, the internet's down. And that's where the detection uh, and classification process starts, unfortunately. <laughs> so you've got to know, know your shared risk link groups. So you've got to know your shared risk groups, right. which we don't do very well. No. Yeah, I, the unintended, yeah, linking things unintendedly or not knowing the dependencies, unknown dependencies is one of those things that, you know, it's bitten the best and the worst, right? Like, it's just one of those things that it's hard to do. It's something you have to keep an eye on, like you have to know about it in advance. And if you don't, well, then it's going to be a sore spot for you. Um, I guess one of my questions in, in this conversation is, as we've spent the first 30 minutes of the show, I think scaring everybody, you know, half to death about all the things they're going to have to, to, to work towards mitigating. And the fact that the whole profile has changed and it's not about from outside to in, like everyone's been telling them forever. Right. Where do you, like, where do you do detection? 
Like where, where, where are you putting things to make sure that you know what's going on? We talked about visibility, but I, in the traditional, I won't say the traditional, but large scale uh, ISP, you know, or ingress, egress traffic, you know, you have your, you have something monitoring that and then something that to way to offload that traffic. I mean, that's a traditional model, right? Uh, for, for a large scale DDoS integration platform. The idea is I can, I can key my upstream to not send me that traffic if I think that that's bad traffic. If from an enterprise perspective, that's a typical, you know, you announce a BGP community and they black hole something in exactly. the ISP. So you've got a couple of different points of perspective here, right? If you're a small to medium sized enterprise, you're running BGP, you have some IP space, doesn't matter whose it is, it's just either PI or PA, you can trigger your upstream provider given they support it, which pretty much all the major but almost every major backbone will support, you know, the black hole community and then they block it. Right. So that's, that's sort of the one one of filtering a host that's doing bad things. Right. So, well, that's, state, that's a destination based black hole, I know, which well, actually completes okay. the attack. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, there's other things that have to be in place for any of that to work. Right. It's never as simple as that. You need RPF and other things to, that, you know, to that's the, source based. Yeah. Make it more than right, still source based, but you know, focus on the, the one thing. But if you're a service provider, what do you do? What do you do if you're a service provider, right? So you've got, you know, you who are you going to send your black hole community to? You can send it to all your peers, but if you're doing, you know, uh, default free routing, then that's a, that's a lot of BGP changes you have to send out. I mean, that from my perspective and running a backbone. I want to see the thing. So I want to, I want to know about them so that I can mitigate them in a smarter way. So looking at flow data, which I think you're going to start talking about, right, Roland, is, is the first one. And, the, the, and, you know, and I want to talk about sort of correlating events, too, at some point. But I'll stop talking sure. so you can go and load it. Well, 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 so so the detection and classification traceback should happen at the edge of the network, all the edges of the network, that is the peering edge, that is the uh, customer uh, aggregation edge, that is the IDC access edge, right? The IDC distribution edge, anywhere that you have packets ingressing your network, that is where you need visibility. Why? Because of traceback, because you want to be able to see where is this bad traffic ingressing your network so that you can put a stop to it as close to the source as possible. Flow telemetry is great for this because routers, layer three switches, they export flow telemetry and they actually give you the input IF index, you know, which interface is the traffic coming in on and then, you know, where is it, how is it egressing, right? And same thing for your core word facing interfaces. You want to have flow telemetry um, enabled on all of those so that you see the outbound and, and the crossbound traffic, you know, as well. And so you, you want to have, you know, your router, your layer three switch, all you want to have flow telemetry enabled ingress on all the interfaces on those devices and you want to be able uh, to monitor that. And so that's really, really key from a visibility standpoint. Now, the, the great thing too about flow telemetry on most platforms is you end up dropping traffic, whether it's via a source-based black hole, whether it's a destination-based black, black hole, whether it's an alcohol blasted out via flow spec over BGP dynamically programmed in the TCAMs on the router, whether it's via a clause policy. Um, what happens is you still get to see that traffic is still tabulated in the flow telemetry and you typically see a destination IF index of zero. 
which is not a standard, but it's a convention that you see not all platforms, but on most platforms. So you can say, okay, I'm seeing this, uh, you know, 300 million packet per second uh, SIM flood that's coming in. And I'd elected to do destination based black holing for this one uh, because it's coming to a, to a broadband uh, access user. And so it's still, I'm dropping the traffic at my edge, but I can see it's still pull, uh, chewing up my peering bandwidth and it's still pummeling my edge router. So now I can contact uh, my, my peer. And we're also starting to see flow spec configurations where ISPs do DDoS peering with one another and are starting to grant one another the ability to potentially toggle flow spec, which gives you layer four granularity of blasting ACLs to on the opposite side of the peering link on, on your, 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 your peer's peering edge router to stop bad traffic from traversing uh, that link. It's early days for that kind of stuff, but, and it's all, you know, bilateral, it's not multilateral, but you know, we're starting to see these, these techniques extended in a federated way. And I think that's a very good thing. Yeah, there's actually some pretty interesting open source projects that have um, that do that allow you to your customers to do flow specs within your router. Like GRNet out of Greece has an open source project called Firewall on Demand that's actually pretty uh, pretty useful and fairly easy to set up too. Sorry, Russ, I just wanted to throw. No, that it's fine. There. I was going to say so. So say I'm an average enterprise um, network operator. Enterprise, you know how much I love that word. But anyway, you're an average network operator, and I see an internal DDoS, what I think might be an internal DDoS. So, assuming that I have FlowSpec or something going on, what, what tools do I have? Um, you're talking about FlowSpec, but I'm sorry, so assume I'm doing um, packet monitoring at some level, like using, um, you know, whatever, and I see this thing coming up. Now, FlowSpec spec isn't necessarily going to help me in this situation. So what tools would I have inside my network if, if internal attacks are such a big deal? Well, that's the thing is, is actually flow spec can help you in, in, in that situation. Source-based remote trigger black hole can help you in that situation because um, this network is presumably within entirely within your span of administrative control. So you can enable flow telemetry, you can collect it, you can use whether it's an open source or a commercial tool to detect, classify, and trace back DDoS attack traffic within your network. Network. Because that network is under your control, you should have implemented source address validation or anti-spoofing on all the access ports in that network. You can do it at layer three. You can do it at layer two with things like uh, DHCP snooping and IP source verify, or, or you know port ACLs for that matter. So you should be able. To, you should not have any spoof traffic within your network at all. So you can trace it back uh, and and know that it's coming from the purported uh, source IPs, and you can deploy source-based remote trigger black hole inside your network. You can deploy flow spec inside your network and use it essentially as a ban hammer, as a hard quarantine to, you know, to clamp down on these machines. And, and I know that it can be done on an enterprise network because I've done it. I've worked with large enterprises to do, who had, you know, problems and they have, they have problems with bots, you know, uh, inside to do exactly this. And having that black hole uh, in the enterprise network is great to block command and control servers. It's, it's great for a number of different purposes. So you need to have complete visibility into traffic within your network, and then you need to have the capability to affect those packets to make a, an intelligent, tactical forward or drop decision. And then if you need more than flow telemetry, you, need, you say, well, I want to look at the whole packet. You can build sinkholes 
and your enterprise network and use routing to divert traffic through the sinkhole where you have your tap and your monitoring system to look at the packets. Or if you have a default route within your network, which enterprise networks often have a lot of instances of default routes, that default route is a strange attractor for enterprise traffic. If you have that default route, go ahead and instrument that portion of the network topology so that you can sniff the packets. So there's, there's a couple of things there, right? So you've got, uh, you know, you've got your internal black hole routing. So a lot of what you said there, all of it is true. Typical enterprise network is going to scream and run the other way because it sounds very hard to do. But realistically speaking, it's not hard at all, right? So right. starting from scratch, you can build an internal black hole router out of basically junk parts. Um, I ran a... Uh, a black hole router that ran on a Cisco 7200 VXR for like 15 years, right. For, for a service provider. And, you know, you can, you can take a PC run quag on it. There's tons of guides on how to do this or FRR. If you're, if you're really thinking there, <laughs> you know, and you can, and you can do things like start with just the sledgehammer of black hole routing. And then when you get a little more comfortable with that, you can start adding, you know, the, the secret sauce of pushing out ACLs with, uh, you know, with your uh, flow spec uh, RC something or other. I used to know it. 5975 or something like, yeah, something like that. Okay. And then there's, there's additions to it. You can do quas policies. You can do redirection yeah. based on layer four. But yeah, you're yeah. exactly right. So so when I was at Cisco, um, I would speak at the networkers uh, or down Cisco Live, they call it conference. And uh, I would do what's called a tectorial, which is a 40 hour you know, a, additional um, uh, class that folks would, would uh, sign up for. And it was about um, ISP security techniques. And so uh, most of the attenders at networkers or Cisco Live or enterprise folks. And so you know, we get in the room and everybody would file in. The first question I would ask, I'd say, how many of you people um, work for ISPs? And so some hands would go up. And then I'd say, how many of you work for enterprises? And, you know, a lot of hands would go up. And I'd say, how many of you will get a phone call in the middle of the night at 4 a.m. on a Sunday when the network is down and everybody's screaming and the company can't is in danger of not being able to make its numbers for the quarter. And everybody's hands went up. And, and, and my response to them is, you're all service providers now. That is the message. And so, like you said, Nick, you hit the nail on the head. You don't have to spend a lot of money to do this. There are veins of hidden gold in the routers, in the switches, in the different devices that are on the network. And so, to build an, inter an internal and external facing as well as an internal facing uh, first line DDoS defense system to detect, classify, trace back, and mitigate DDoS attacks, you don't have to spend money. What you have to do is you have to learn and then you have to expend elbow grease. And that's why security is hard. You know, if you could, if, if enterprises could just write a check and they could buy a piece of software, they could buy an appliance, what have you, that's easy to do. Well, I work for a security vendor and I'm here to tell you folks that 80% or more of the real security that you can, should, and must implement within your network to, to defend against, you know, a, a DDoS attacks so for other forms, you know, confidentiality and integrity as well, 80% or more of it does not consist of what you buy. It consists of what you do. 
That's why it's hard. And if you have to make a budgetary choice between buying a security box, buying security software, or hiring smart people, you hire the smart people because the smart people can help you leverage what you already have to dramatically include your security posture, including your availability and your resilience to DDoS attacks. Always invest in your people. Right there. Right there. I don't think there's a better place to wrap this up. I think that's it. Like <laughs> right there. <laughs> I, I'm serious. So, um, uh, and I also want to know, Roland, how do you always get your outages and your events to happen at 4 a.m. on a Sunday? I think a lot of people would be interested in knowing that. It, 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 it is a, it, it's like a law of nature. And <laughs> it's and, kind of and, and, though. I mean, if you could plan for it, though, that'd be fantastic. You'd just be able to wait well, 4 a.m. on a Sunday. <laughs> and, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the DDoS. Out, uh, attack window. That's right. And we'll publicize this and get all the attackers to agree to it. Uh, and I can also tell you that whenever a new broadband wireless network is brought up, whether it's a mobile broadband wireless network or whether it's a fixed wireless broadband network, they will not have done all the stuff that you have to do. Because remember, when the broadband space, your customers are actually your enemy, right? Because of the all the, the different uh, compromised devices. And so the first day of operations guaranteed, they will go down hard because they stuck stateful firewalls everywhere because they haven't done the infrastructure self-protection BCPs. They have no flow telemetry. They have no visibility and they go down hard on the launch day. This happens. I, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten calls from all around the world by these operators. Oh, we just tuned up our new service and it's all down and everything is horrible. And you know, we're all going to get it fired. And so that, that's Eight the thing. Ten times. That's right. But the good, the great news is that people like Nick and me, what we're in the business of doing is we're in the business of turning people into network superheroes. We try to get people to learn this stuff, to gain the knowledge, to empower themselves so that they can then go and make their networks and their applications and their services more resilient against attack. And if we can turn folks into these network superheroes, then they in turn can help propagate this information throughout uh, their organization and hopefully develop a culture that resiliency and availability are uh, security uh, priority number one whenever they're rolling out something new. Hey, Yvonne, there you go. Just clip that out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, I think we need to get these two on to do some member content. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Specifically around I mean, how to make all this happen. So, um, so, so yeah, so let's, uh, let's wrap it up here. Um, Nick, why don't you uh, share where people can find you? Where can people find you online? Uh, so I blog on forwardingplane.net on occasion when I have time. Um, and I'm on Twitter. Basically, everything's at Braulio. So LinkedIn, So just Twitter. type that into whatever box is possible and you'll show yeah. up. Okay. I'll awesome. Show up. <laughs> All right. Roland, how about you? Where can people find you? Well, I don't do the social media thing uh, that much, but I have an online archive of presentations that are vendor neutral that, you know, talk about also these things that Nick and I have been discussing that Nick and I have, you know, we know we can do it because we've done it with our, our own two hands and we know that you can do it too. And so I will actually give you guys the link to my uh, box public folder that has a bunch of tutorials uh, on how to do some of this stuff without spending a lot of money. And I think Nick will agree with me that, 
you know, again, I'm a security vendor, right? I get paid by people buying security stuff, but I would much rather people go and start with the open source tools and start with the techniques and things they can do themselves because in many cases, that's all they need. And if that's all they need, that's great. But if it's not all they need, they will have gained the operational experience to be able to make informed decisions about what it is they actually need to buy. And so uh, I'll give you the link to my public folder. It talks about a lot of this stuff. Um, R. Dobbins at Arbor.net, guess me, but we've been, you know, we've joined the Netscout family. And so uh, this, the end, at the end of this week, Roland.Dobbins at Netscout.com. So by the, by, the time this, by the time this comes out, that's going to be the valid address. Um, there you go. Are, are you on LinkedIn as well? People were to find and connect you there. I, 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 I am on LinkedIn. I, I probably, I don't pay as much attention to it as I probably should. I don't do the Twitter the safe, and the safe social media question. Are you on LinkedIn? Most people say yes. I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> All right. Awesome. And that's a great resource. We'll make sure that we have uh, that link posted on the show page at thenetworkcollective.com. So if you're listening to this or watching this and, and you want to go check out that resource, which I'm going to be checking out, like you should go check it out too. Uh, um, it'll be there on the page for you uh, when we post this. So Russ in, uh, in fabulous, sunny Las Vegas <laughs> this week. I'm at, I'm at, ne I'm at next work. Yeah. For, uh, with, with all our friends at Juniper. With all our friends at Juniper. That's all right. right. Um, you, can so always find find me, you. you can always find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter at Routing Geek. I actually log in every now and then. You can blame that on Yvonne. Good job, Yvonne. I log into Twitter every now and again. And you can find me at Rule11.tech and you can always find me at the Network Collective. All right, Yvonne, how about yourself? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sharp Network, uh, LinkedIn. Um, I do, well, I have a blog, but it needs some help. Um, it's <laughs> um, I think, I think and, all of us are in that state. Like, I just question about yeah. whether I should even bring up my blog anymore. I, know. Like, I, I was writing, and then I was like, well, I better mention it. But, yeah. but always, of course, here at the Network Collective. Great. Uh, I'm Jordan Martin at BC Jordan on Twitter, jordanmartin.net. If you want to go see some really old posts, they're there. Um, obviously, uh, we got all this going on at Network Collective. So that's the Collective.com. Uh, if you like this episode, there are many, many like it. I think we're up over 100 total episodes at this point between all the different avenues. Um, it's quite a, it's been quite a bit of uh, content that's out there now. So if you're just starting with us, there you have a lot of catching up to do. So go do that. One of my favorites, one of my favorite. I actually catch it mainly audio as a podcast subscription. Uh, I, absolutely fantastic content thanks for having me on the program and then nick it's a pleasure to speak with you and and uh be able to discuss sure. these things with a with a kindred spirit oh well, thanks so much it's always awesome to hear when you know uh somebody we invite on as a guest is like oh yeah i listen all the time like awesome that's so cool so uh so we appreciate everyone who's watching and listening now uh just as much as we appreciate rolling listening that's awesome thanks for thanks for taking the time um again you can find all of our episodes there we're on uh if if you want to get it delivered to you right away you can go to itunes or your regular podcast app and you can search for us we're there uh if you like the video version of the of the show it's on vimeo uh, the easiest part is just to go to the website, though, thenetworkcollective.com. It's all there. All the links about where to find us are there. That's where you should go. Um, and just uh, one last quick shout out. Uh, if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, you should go check out the, the membership section. There's lots of great content that's getting filled in there. Uh, great community of people. Uh, great conversation happening in the member Slack. It's just uh, it's a really great resource. That's thenetworkcollective.com slash join. Thanks again for watching. Thanks for, for listening. And we will see you next time. <laughs>